we consider the only reason? Um, I, I don't know if we have one. <laughs> you're Gavin for sure. I, w- I would say Gavin. The one who's not regularly involved in this podcast. <laughs> Hey guys, so welcome to New World Brasscast. What episode are we in now? This is, will be episode five? This is episode five. Five, I think so. As always, I'm joined by Amy and Tony, and this time around, I am joined by Gavin Pritchard. So Gavin, you're currently playing with BBCF, you're percussion with them. Yep. And you're you're on their like operational board, right? Do you guys call it operational executive board? Executive board, yeah. I'm now the president of the band. I just know you've told me what to do on a, on a few uh, <laughs> occasions, um, but you've played in like, like like every single time I go and look up a test piece and it's first recording, you're back there running around in the percussion section. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you want to give off like a hit list of bands that you played with in the UK? Sure, just the UK first then. I'm sure I might go on to some others after that, but the UK first off then. Um, when we moved to back to the UK from Norway in 96 or 7, I can't remember, um, I'd already promised uh, Richard Evans uh, that I would play with his band. We met in Norway. And I said, yeah, when I come over, if I come over, I'll play with your band. And he's connected to Leyland at the time. So I joined Leyland, but they didn't need me for the... The hell was it? The Masters, I think it was. Yeah, it was, I'm sure it was the Masters. They are already a full team. So Dave King knew that I was in the area. Um, I was 17 at the time, and he says, do you want to come and play for YBS, for the Masters? I said, yeah, sure, I'll come and play. Leyland were okay with it. So I then the idea was I was going to play at the Masters and transfer to Leyland. Um, I enjoyed it a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit too much, probably, and stayed a little bit longer than I, I kind of agreed. And I said to Dave, look, I promised Leyland that I'd, I'd go back there. Um, that's that's what I said to Rich Evans when we moved back, and that's what I was going to do. So, yeah, that's D- Dave took it well and said, you know, anytime I wanted to go back, I'd be more than welcome and wish me all the best. And then I went off to Leyland. Um, I was there for, it was under a year. Um, certain things were happening, and Dave was in desperate need of someone to play YBS again, so he kept contacting me. Uh, and offered me a solo position. So I said, all right, this seems to be the best move for me at this time in my life. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. The problem we had then was the rule in Britain at the time was you couldn't go back to the band you'd just left within, I think it was a 12-month period. Um, so that would that, I was transfer locked. So they put an appeal in because I was young at the time, I only did the one contest and the, the move uh, and that got accepted and they actually changed the, the rule of registration in the UK at that point in the late 90s because of my situation, which allowed me go, to go to YBS. So, um, so you you that, changed, you had a rule change just for you. Basically, yes. It's like the Jordan rules. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It, it, it was, the, the rule was a little bit wishy-washy, I think, and it kind of applied but kind of didn't. So the, my appeal meant that they then changed the wording of it so that it would allow that. I think there are still restrictions on this. I think they might just lengthen the time and then other conditions that might affect that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how that rule got changed which started my seven-year period at YBS then. Uh, and I, I joined just as they were. They, they were successful, of course, but we won our first European, my first year. Then we started winning things repeatedly, and we were winning the Open every other year. We were winning the European and seven years in a row. Uh, we won the Masters many, many times in that period, uh, the Yorkshire area, and we were just tremendously successful during that period and it, in my opinion it came from the fact that there was a lot of us together at the same age who had similar interests that spending all this time together and developing as musicians together so that, that, that created a really really successful atmosphere which was incredibly uh, um, it, it, I feel lucky to be part of it let's put it that way I feel extremely grateful and lucky to be part of that period um, that then uh, takes us to my end of my seven years. I then decided it would, the, the, the amount of time it was taking in my life was a bit, a bit too much. So I took a step back uh, and left the band, didn't join anyone else, just kind of uh, helped bands out. I played with Grindthorpe a lot in concerts, didn't register for them, just dotted around. And then um, Grindthorpe said, let's, let's have you join. And at the time, I was living in South Wales, which is a four-hour drive. 
And I said, look, I can't do regular stuff. You know, there's, that, that's just that's crazy. They said, look, we'll give you Mondays off. If you turn up every Thursday and do all the gigs um, and, you know, join, then we'll have you and we'll give you every Monday off. I went, oh, okay. And I did it. <laughs> and I actually did the journey, which was crazy. Uh, and after I did that for three years, I think, uh, again, a really successful time. We won the uh, the uh, Brass in Concert. We won. I won my first and only nationals with them as well during that period. Um, and then Bob Bob Charles contacted me and said, "We've got a band that's only ten minutes away from where you live. Do you fancy coming and joining Corey?" I said, "Well, I yeah, I'd love to. That'd be fantastic." And so I I, I said to Graham Thorpe, "This isn't working with the traveling. I, I've got a much better uh, situation travel wise. Uh, you know, I wish you all the best, and I'll stay with you." And I did both for a long period of time, as much as I could, to help Graham Thorpe out until they got a settled team. So then I was really lucky to be part of Bob's amazing band, at Corey. Uh, again, just tremendous amount of quality players top to bottom with a really great conductor. And again, I just feel so lucky to have been part of that period where we, again, we were so lucky we won all those Europeans, won British Opens. And it just seems like every band I went to at that period of time, they started winning contests regularly. Um, so that, that took me, uh, how many years? About four years with Corey. Um, and again, there were certain situations happened and it just wasn't for me anymore. There was a few of us that that left the band um, and it just, it was the right time for me to move. And then Ian Porthouse contacted me and said, would you be interested in playing with this other band across the road here in Wales, Tredegar? So I said, yeah, great. Would love to. And I joined them and lo and behold, we won the British Open. We, we started winning stuff again. And it just seems, I, I, it's just so lucky to have been part of these bands at those, those purple patches. You're the lucky uh, charm. So again, you're the lucky charm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much uh, influence percussion has. Uh, I guess more than more than I feel. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that that kind of takes me then to the, the the last band I played at the UK full time regularly before moving over here. How? So, what years were you with Corey? Um, I think 2012 to 2015, 16. So you were yeah. with you when the conductors changed over? You were, no, were I, I left. So when it went, let me think now. I, I've got this mixed up. I've got my times mixed up. No, I was with Corey from 2009 to 2012. That's when I was there. Because I, when I left, Bob left like six months later. And that's when Phil Harper joined. Okay. So I saw I saw the band the the picture if you know, that I mentioned in our in our host episode I saw them the year that he took over and I was like if you were in that band when I snuck behind the championship trophy and took that photo if you were <laughs> in that the band, story that again really funny. <laughs> no no that that was me no I, yeah twenty twelve <laughs> was when I left because actually funny funny story. The first thing I did when I left, I played with Grimethorpe at the um, Olympic Games, at the opening ceremony in London. So that, I think that was my first gig with them. That must have been fun. You know, mm. going on now, you know, it's <laughs> an interesting thing where you actually got to play at the Olympics. Yeah, well, I mean, Facebook's great for that type of thing. It shows me uh, on this day, however many years ago, and it's flooded at the moment. Every day I'm getting new tons of pictures from when we were there. And if the past couple of weeks as well, because we, uh, we actually recorded the, uh, some of the music at Abbey Road Studios uh, for the games. Um, and wow. me, I, I was lucky enough along with a couple others of the players to actually stay on and do a studio session to record the backing tracks for some of the anthems and some of the other incidental music for the Olympic Games as well. So uh, some of the pictures that have come up on my uh, timeline, for example, is one of me, John Watson, uh, Andy Lockett, and Carl Ryan, the other percussionists, wheeling a set of tubular bells, set of chimes across that uh, that crossing outside Abbey Road that the Beatles walked. Oh, really? <laughs> That's great. Do they awesome. record the, the anthems every four years? Um, I don't... I don't know for certain. I can't say for sure. I just know that we did some of them. We didn't do all of them. We just did some of them. Interesting. Yeah, because it's like, you wonder if like, like if there weren't like one set of recordings that they pass along. All right, London, you're, here's this set of recordings for the sure. Andes. And then they pass it along to the next one. 
you know. Yeah. Then who has the rights on it and and international rights and figuring out who gets royalties and I would think that that would be a a big headache. Sure. I'm sure John Williams is living happy no matter what. Who who? Recorded. Oh gosh, <laughs> I, I wonder yeah. if, MB, if NBC actually still pays him for the number of times they play the fanfare and theme on their broadcast. <laughs> it it had to have been. I probably. mean, just with forethought, they probably had to do just like a one gigantic lump sum right in the beginning, just just for because they're like, you would think as an executive, like every four years we would have to be paying out this guy just for that, like just like not even when like. You know, blah 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 orchestra licenses the music for it. Like, not even that. Um, they, so it, ha- it had to have been, right? And he's just sitting there kicking himself every four years, like, why did I do that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he wrote that in 1984 in the Los Angeles Olympics. So it's been around a long time. Yes, mm-hmm. 84 was a long time ago. Yeah. So, Gavin, when you moved back to England or the United Kingdom, were you? Did you say you were seventeen when you were eighteen when you started with YBS? Yes, seventeen. Wow, that's young. That's a yeah. good college band. <laughs> <laughs> is it, yeah, is it common for a lot of younger people to get involved over there with that high of level band, or were you just like the anomaly? Um, I was the youngest player in the band by about three years, I think, um, at that time. Uh, it is, it is a bit of an anomaly, I think, looking looking around um, to have someone that young, um, especially as a soloist as I was with the band. Um, you know, when you have people like Pete Roberts and Morgan Griffiths in the band, and then you got a seventeen-year-old playing a xylophone solo as well. Uh, <laughs> it's incredible uh, lineup to be part of. Uh, but yeah, mo- there was a, a large chunk of players in their early twenties. People like Shona White was she was only uh, in her early twenties, I think, at the time. Uh, Mar- Margie on baritone as well. Uh, a lot of Salford, Salford students um, all, jo- all joined the band together, I think, which of course is a Dave King influence. He was teaching them at school. And I'm not sure whether it was people went to school because of YBS or people were at school and therefore they came to YBS. There, there's a uh, there's probably a good mixture of both on that respect. Well, that's, that's kind of what we see around here. I mean, I know, I mean, both BBCF and Tampa Brass Band, um, I'm not sure about the bands that you guys are involved in, but like a lot of our bands are he- are like held together a lot of the times by like university students who have, sure. who are like my, my euphonium line has two of my former students sitting in that line. Um, and it just so happens to be that way. Yeah. Um, and like I know, like with like BBCF, you have the trumpet professor at UCF there. That's right. But you've also got a few of his students or people taking private lessons with him sitting yes. in that cornet section, right? Yeah. And what what we were trying to build from this is kind of like what we had in YBS, where people would say we like the look of Brass Band of Central Florida. So if we come and study at UCF, there's a link up there, rather than people just turning up at UCF and then we see who's good enough. You know, we we kind of want to say who's, um, you know, who we want to try and get people to look at who is the professor at UCF so that they can come to play in the band. That's, that, that's kind of what we had at White Yes, I think. Has a youth band helped that at all? Do you think? Do you think? Um, I think it would have done had it not been for COVID. Uh, we, we just started uh, getting some real traction with that. Uh, and then obviously COVID has stopped it. The youth band has been great to us. We have off the top of my head, five or six players in the main band now that were in the youth band the last time we went to NABA. Uh, the principal corner player from the youth band is now our flugel player, for example. Um, I think one or two of the tuba players, uh, quite a few of the corner players. So that's been good for us. Hopefully that'll be the same now once we get going again. Has that been your experience too, Tony? Cause you've got like, I think you've got like an army of uh, youth bands up there. Yeah, we, we now have three youth bands, you know, over a hundred players. Um, the uh, we the Triangle Brass Band does have five, six, sometimes seven former youth band members playing in the band. Um, most of those guys are from back in my day doing the youth band. Um, but I would say that it was probably 10 or 12 or 13 years of the youth band being in existence before any of those players matriculated up to the adult band, mainly because they, they were in high school, they went to college, they got jobs, started families, decided they still wanted to play. So you're talking 10 years later, then they're starting to come back. Um, you know, so it just, 
you know, they didn't continue to play in the, you know, they left the graduated from the youth band and then went straight into the triangle brass band. There's always a kind of a gap in there when they go to college and then come back, you know, but we, oh. do, but we do like, I always go to, to youth band alumni, especially on the strange instruments like tenor horn. You know, I go to them first and say, Hey, you used to play tenor horn. You know, we have an opening for that. I think, I think with Rowan having, uh, being, you know, with, with Atlantic being based at Rowan, um, our youth brass band has that added benefit. Cause when, when I was working with the Atlantic youth brass band, I think I had the record of every single euphonium player who went through auditioned at Rowan university. So we had like a pipeline from the youth brass band into the college, into the college brass band, and then into Atlantic. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> the full, the full cycle. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just shift them right on through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I think it's something that, you know, that every brass band organization in, in North America should consider finding a way to start a youth program because it will sometime down the line be a way that they could get experienced, talented players into their band. It's not the only reason to do it, obviously. Um, you know, we, I don't think that the reason that the Triangle Brass Band started a youth band was so that it could reinforce its ranks down in the future, but it is a byproduct of it. And, you know, there's more excitement generated for your organization and for brass bands in general. Um, but, but down the line, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off benefits you know, when, you know, when you have a, a pool of players that are familiar with brass band and you can assimilate them into your, your band a lot easier. Well, even if they're not, even if they're not lifelong players, um, our, our secondary goal would be to create lifelong listeners. And we need, we need people in the audience as well as, as up on stage. And so if we can, if we can create um, music lovers, lifelong audience members, people to consume music, then that's another, another goal met. Yeah, that's a great point. We, we need people who will sit in our audience and like us, you know, this, this medium of music. That's <laughs> well, that's why, that I mean, sounds really needy. <laughs> right. Isn't that why we teach like so many, like, I'm not trying to create a billion music majors. I just want them right. to be active in music in general, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, if a, if a youth band can be the thing that kind of makes them interested in long term, even if they never necessarily pick up an instrument in that same capacity again, but they're sitting in a, you know, they're sitting in concerts on a regular basis, maybe not even ours, but just, you know, that like, I feel like that's the best way to keep the art form alive. Um, be just art music in general. Right. Yeah. And, Gavin, isn't, isn't there, um, What's the audience like for Brass Band of Central Florida? Like, I thought I back in the day, didn't, weren't you guys like doing a really hugely successful Christmas series? Sure, and we, we still do that. It's at St. Luke's Church uh, over here in Oviedo. Um, and for, for those uh, pre-COVID, we were doing three shows for the weekend, Friday night, a matinee on Saturday and a Saturday evening. And we would get thousands at each of those concerts. Um, and that was, a, it's always a wide variety of people as well. Like something I noticed in the UK uh, was um, it was always the older generation would come and listen to the bands. But the weird thing was that that, that was like in the late 90s. 10 years later, it's still the older generation. 20 years later, 30 years later, it's still, but they're not the same people, you know? It seems like you, they get to a certain age and go, right, I'm now at the stage where I can go to a, a concert. <laughs> Whereas over here, especially with these concerts, that's not the case. We have children up to, uh, you know, whatever age. Um, and it, it's regulars. Um, there are people that come back every single time for our September concerts and our Christmas concerts. There's new people. Friends get told about it. They come. Some people can't do it, whatever. So that, that is... Um, that, that's been an incredible concept for us to reach out to the uh, to the area, general area, to see. And that, and that does generate repeat customers for for other concerts, including like your Nava Prep concerts and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, not everyone comes to everything. Some people go because they are is hosted by the the, the church St Luke's. It's because they go to all of the St Luke's concerts, whether that be the Orlando Philharmonic or the UCF orchestra or us. However, there are people that do come to see all of ours and only ours. 
No, no, no other group has as many concerts in that series as we do. Uh, some only have one weekend, whereas we have the two weekends. And even when they have the one weekend, maybe they don't have the one, one performance. We always have multiple. So then that's because of the demand in our local area, which is fantastic. Yeah, that is, that is really good. That's tough to do for a brass band. You know, is, is there a lot to do with the marketing to it or is it pretty much self-contained because the, the church series does the bulk of the marketing for it? We've, we've been lucky in that the church has done a lot of work for us in that respect. Um, there was one lady in particular, Judy Duda, who up until two concert cycles ago was, was leading the whole thing. She was in charge of it and she was running the show, did a fantastic job building up that, that base. Um, and I mean, she can only ask people to come. You know, once the person's through the door and listening, if they don't like the product, they're not going to come back. So the repeat custom then is of course on the, the product that the band has produced, which over the years through Chad's years and through my dad's years now, uh, who's been with the band what, five years now, I think. Uh, it's, it's a product that people want to come back to, which that, that's our responsibility. We need to keep doing that. Every time we turn up, we need to keep giving them a product that they want to come back to every time. Yeah. That's, I, you just mentioned that, you know, Chad and then, and then your dad directing the band. Mm. I don't think you could get two different music directors in successive terms. How was the transition and what, were, what are some of the things that made that transition either successful or not successful and how that shifted the way the band approached doing what it was doing? Sure. I mean, um, the first things first, when we moved over here, there was no intention of my dad connecting the band. That was never on the cards. That wasn't the idea. And my dad was just going to come over, uh, get some job conducting somewhere and, you know, wait out his years until retirement. Um, and it was, it was literally within like six months of us being here that Chad then announced that he was uh, off to Arizona, back home to Arizona, and the band would then hold auditions. And um, a lot of the band said, well, why are we holding auditions? Let's just make the switch. And then there were people in the band that said, no, we need to do it properly. And there were people that were against the idea, uh, which is there's always going to be that. Um, so... The, the, the band, were, when Chad was in charge, the band were successful in playing the way they did, doing what they did, because the core musicians uh, believed in that and everyone else went along with the core. Um, when there was a switch over to my dad, there was obviously a different direction. A lot of the band wanted that. Some were okay and different to it and some people didn't want it. The people that didn't want it left and that's fair. There's no hard feelings. That's not what they signed up for. Uh, and so that initial kind of rebuild at that point um, was, was healthy for everyone. Uh, we managed to then build a nucleus of what, what the, those remaining members wanted out of it. And my dad matched those, uh, th those views. And it, that then relationship grew uh, to what it is now, which is a fantastic relationship. And it, yeah, it's changed the way the band uh, plays. Um, some of the music's the same, some of the music's different, uh, but the approach to stylistically how they play is, is, is just different. It's not right, it's not wrong, no, no, no one's good or bad, it's just a different approach. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was very noticeable at NABA um, in 19. Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, wow, that, that's very different from what I remember you know, Central Florida from sounding. It was, it was, it was, it was, it went from a more, a brighter, you know, really, you know, aggressive playing sure. band to a, a, a darker, more sonorous, you know, dare I say more traditional brass band approach to it. It was very obvious, but it was, it was really cool to see like that transition yeah. you know, happen real in real life, you know, cause it's like, wow, that's so different. <laughs> well, that's really nice to hear because, Obviously, I mean, I know my dad extremely well. I've played in lots of his bands. You do. <laughs> and again, I talked about earlier about how it's been a privilege to play with great conductors like Bob Childs, like Ian Portas, like Dave King. But equally, I put my dad, my Gareth Pritchard, on that same level. Um, and I, I'm, I'm tr I feel tremendously lucky to be part of another one of his bands that um, is over the last couple of years has been a bit more successful, a bit more consistent in NABBA, which is great to see and great to hear these comments because when you're in it, you don't always see or hear the changes. They just happen. Uh, you think you're doing it. You, th you know you're attempting to do it, but you don't know if it's translating. So to hear that is 
It's really nice to hear. That's yeah. So what does your dad say to you when you're supposed to play a lick on timpani and you're back there text texting somebody instead of playing? I would never dare do that <laughs> <in> his rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. room, no dinner for you. <laughs> you know, no, on the he's... on the playing side of it, so I sat in that band under both Chad and your dad. Mm-hmm. And it it was interesting because like I don't think the thing that never changed with the brass band in Central Florida was like the professionalism of the of the ensemble. Like yeah. that was always at mm-hmm. like everybody I feel like everybody was held at, at a very high level with that. And I think where the biggest changes were that I noticed just kind of being in and out of it as much as I have been was like the artistic direction was the biggest thing, but mm-hmm. like, you know, on the podium, I mean, it was like, it, you know, licks are licks and you're, you're working them out and all those sorts of things. And like, you're, you're working on those stylistic things, but, um, it, it was, it, it's kind of crazy how, like, you know, I played under Chad a little bit and then I come in, you know, for, I think it was that 2019 NABA, you know, that that's when I, I joined in and just seeing, just hearing a difference from just like, that standpoint was really interesting and like to go back to that whole like youth thing and i wanted to make sure we mentioned it before we got way 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 far away from it was like but playing in the band that your dad now directs is why i play in bands now was i subbed in that band once i saw them play at the university of central florida for a tuba conference i liked brass band like that like that was a lot of why so like I am testament to why that you that situation that you mentioned you know is is a thing Yay! <laughs> so I wanted to because we're we're in a very interesting situation. Before we run out run out of too much time, um, I wanted to and um, Amy, of course, you're more than welcome to join in on this as well because you do have this perspective. But I was curious, uh, Gavin, what has been your? Obviously, we've been talking about it a lot. You you've been in bands on both you know both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, what has been you know some of the differences that you've noticed between the two? Um, I think the major difference is having to convince people over here to do this, to try and sell the product. That, that seems to be uh, obviously a large, large part of what we do. Um, like you're saying, Aaron, once you're in it and you've tried it a few times, you're hooked. And I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about, that's how we've got everyone. Uh, in the band that's new. They come and join it, they listen to it, and they go, yeah, I want to try that. That that doesn't happen in the UK. It's already established. People know there's recognition. You look at uh, the UK, it's only the size of Florida. And look at how many bands there are in, in the UK. Not just how many quality, how many bands there are. Each village has several bands of all different levels. We just don't have that here. Uh, so you'd think that if we are the only brass band in and around Orlando, we could attract loads of players, but because uh, we have to convince people to, to come and, you know, to, to convince people that we exist in the first place, that's a major part of it. And that takes up a lot of our time. Um, playing wise, I'm not sure there is much difference, to be honest. Um, there might be some different approaches because you're having to convince people from other genres to come in and play. So they have to change the way they're doing things. Uh, you don't have to. If you ask someone to come and play in a brass band in the UK or Europe, they know what it's about. They 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 they, they they've got some experience. They know how it sounds. It's not alien to them. Uh, that you don't get that here with people from other genres. It is an alien thing. They go, oh wow, this is what we do here. This is the way we want to try and get a dark sound. Do we? Is that what we try, a homogenous sound rather than? I need to project what I'm doing either to the box or into the microphone or whatever. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the players that we're trying to bring in. Um, I say that's, that's the only real major difference. Uh, the similarities are surprising. I thought there would be more differences, but there aren't. I, I think that there's, you know, because of YouTube and the access that we have to see what's going on over here on mm-hmm. the other side of the pond, it, it gives us a lot a lot better idea of what we're supposed to be doing. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we just didn't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a CD and that was it, but there's so much access now through live streams and through YouTube and stuff like that. We can like, man, we can see what all the bands are doing all the time. Sure. And, and it's really, it's much easier now to incorporate that into our approaches here. You know, especially now that so many bands over here are bringing in guests from over there to work with our bands 
as well. That happens a lot more frequently now than it ever has. And that, and that helps, helps with that education too. So we're starting to learn more about the culture over here of what, because that, that's really, the, to me, that's the big difference between here and there is, is the cultural differences. Brass band is a thing there and there's a culture surrounded by it where it has a high level of importance in people's lives when they're really competing on those high levels. And over here, a brass band is still a community band. And that community band is like, well, it's, I, I'll do this on Wednesday nights, but if something comes up, then I, I got something else to do and I can miss it. And that would be unheard of, much less doing it two nights a week versus just one night a week and missing it, you know, because, you know, oh, I, it's my birthday, my son's birthday's dinner. So I'm going to, you know, so I'm going to bag on band, you know, so it's about developing that culture. And that's really hard to do because we have this community band, you know, culture over here where there's, you know, there's 80 people in the community band, nobody's going to miss the seventh chair tuba player, you know, for one night. Right. right. So, yeah. So that, that's, that's what I've noticed is, is a, is a really big difference is just figuring out how to get that culture. And there's people that are doing it very well, you know, like building that culture and trying to convince people that, you know, this is, it's going to be more valuable when we instill these concepts into the program. Yeah, I think I think sound wise, the biggest difference that I heard um, being on both sides of the pond is that that in the UK and a lot of Europe, when when bands get louder, it's like you turn the volume knob in the US when we when we get louder over here. A lot of the time I start sensing like this tension being introduced to the sound. And I don't know if that's marching band or what part of our musical culture, where that comes from, but I want to track it down. It um, it what? Trumpet. It's trumpet players trying to play cornet. And it's, it's from all of them. It's from all of them. And, and the, the amount of work that, that I've done with various people just don't bring the tension and just take the volume knob. Um, and well, Tony, I, Tony just invited Phil Smith to send us a very grumpy email. <laughs> <laughs> well Phil's um, not listening to this <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's I think sound wise um, I can I can hear it you know in in various uh, brass bands and it's it's funny because you can listen I think the the vibrato change obviously is different from the the US to the UK um, but I did uh, with, with uh, Dr. Josty, who hopefully we'll have on soon. Uh, he did examples in a class that he ran um, on like Scandinavian brass bands, American brass bands, British brass bands, like Japanese brass bands. You can listen to them just boom, 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 boom. And like listen to the vibrato, listen to the sound concept and identify where these bands are from. And it's fascinating hearing all those differences. But the Americans... The Americans, you can hear from that tension in the sound. It gets loud. It gets, oh, I must play to the stands. Oh, fairly bright. You know, it gets fairly bright. When, they're, when, they're, when, when we're quiet, it, it's out. But then it's like we, we feel like we need to work harder to create the, the sound. I don't know what it is. It's, it's training. It's training. You know, that's, that's another big difference over here with bands is that there's a lot of brass bands that have really incredibly trained conductors that are not necessarily brass trainers. Um, you know, where, you know, you, you know, when there's an opening, you know, they'll, they'll hire, you know, and that's that community band thing too. They're like, Oh, we need to get a, a DMA trained, you know, wind conductor to conduct our brass band. And a lot of times you have a saxophone, background or you have a woodwind background or a percussion background or something else and they and they haven't grown up in the the brass band world so that and so that the you know most brass bands get good because they're trained into being good and not necessarily conducted into being good and i think that you know more and more brass players are standing in front of uh, standing in front of bands now and i think that that's going to help help because they can actually train the bands that when they play loud this is how you play loud with with not getting tense and bright it's a theory i have <laughs> I, I think i think the other thing i know a couple of people mentioned it is this 
playing to the stands, you know, the, this uh, trumpet marching idea, or um, even like from a commercial level on a recording CD where you're playing direct to the microphone. I, I think the idea there is, and I'm, forgive me, you know, I'm a percussionist, I'm not professed to be a brass player, by any means, I sound awful on all instruments smaller than a euphonium, and euphonium <laughs> down, I sound very average, so... But, but I think it's down to, it seems to be down to airflow, you know, the, in, in that respect with um, playing to the stand, we're trying to project the air through the instrument and you need to get more instrument, more air through the instrument and out into the, the, the air. Um, whereas what we do over in Europe is more of put more air through the instrument, put the air into the instrument and just cram it with more and more and more air in the instrument, not through it. If you put it in it, then I remember this, uh, Bob Blackburn, a baritone player with YBS at the time, when we were the European in 2003 in Bergen, we, the test piece was Obard, and it starts with, by Toshinaga Nelson, and it starts with a baritone cadenza very early on. Uh, I don't know what birds it was meant to be imitating, because it doesn't sound like any birds, but it was <laughs> an enormous, enormous sound. And we joked about the tone about how on earth do you make it sound so big without it sounding so harsh? And he was talking to us then about how he tries to make the whole instrument rattle with the amount of air. When the air is, is full of full of air, and then you can hear it and feel the instrument vibrating, then you're doing something right. Then like bagpipes, once you've got it going like that, you then throw that into the hole, and that creates a big sound. Uh, that, again, I was talking about culture and direction. That's something we've just not done here in America. So we're trying to teach people to do that from scratch. Um, well, for a percussionist, that was a very good... <laughs> very good description of how the <laughs> and I, I i do think you know that kind of goes on to the whole like training that you were talking about tony because i in my experience a lot of conductors are really worried about the like the rehearsal of it all piecing things together and how that works out and rhythms and and all that sort of thing and if, if you go and watch like a chicago symphony rehearsal or something like that granted that you know there's not a lot of it but that's the type of that's on the itinerary not teaching people how to play their instrument and I think the more amateur na nature of brass band and like being pedagogical on the stand is something that, you know, sometimes gets overlooked. I mean, there's not a lot of, of course, they're fantastic conductors, but correct me if I'm wrong. But in the UK, most of the guys who are leading a lot of the bands are people like, you know, like Thornton comes to mind, David Thornton, mm -hmm. who was like a, a great player in his own right and then kind of merged into conducting. Right. And I feel sure. like a lot of the bands are kind of in that same capacity. I, I would say absolutely. When you look at the, 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 the players, the, the conductors that I've played under. Uh, my dad was a principal corner player with Brodsworth, with Ferry and with Gus, who at the time called Richard Catanus, and then moved into conducting after that. At the same time, Dave King was a corner player at Black Dyke, who moved into conducting. Um, Ian Porthouse was a con uh, principal corner player at Leyland, that moved into conducting. Bob Childs was a euphonium player, that moved into conducting. I think every single one, there's only a couple where you would say you could point to that, and there's not many at the moment. They're, they've all ex-players that have played in tremendously good bands over the years. We were just, I was just having a conversation uh, about this with someone and we were trying to figure out if there's, if there's like a, like a progression, is there like an age at which these, these great players start doing this transition? I, it I was interesting. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think there's a particular age. I think it's to do with the player recognizing that. Uh, I'm not going to get any better now. So I'm either going to plateau or I'm going to get worse. I'm going to go and do something else before that happens. Um, yeah. the, there's some anomalies to that, like Pete Roberts, who's just uh, an enormous um, anomaly to, to that. It would just, no matter how old he's getting, he's just as good as he was. He doesn't mm -hmm. seem to ever deteriorate. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the, main, the main point. It's not an age. It's kind of when they think, I think it'd be best if I move before. It starts a plateau. Yeah, that's a good point. And I've got it. I would imagine too that it's like kind of like a. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sick of it yet, but I would. I would assume that at some point, like playing and, and the monotony of like that sort of that same style of preparation can become something where you're like, let me get a new artistic challenge and let me shift things up in in my life a little bit and 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 push my way towards there. Yeah. Um, so before we before I mean, but I mean Tony, you that's literally I mean. You're a heck of a tuba player, but you're conducting a band. What do you What do you think? 
Yeah, I well, I I don't I haven't played in a plethora of brass bands. Like last time I actually played regularly in a brass band was 2002. Um, you know, I I've been directing the youth band, and then in 2008 directed the Triangle Brass Band. But you know, I can definitely say that I can very easily see how if you played at Royal Albert Hall for 20 years, you know, you know, at these high level competitions, it's like, well, okay, you know, I've done this to the highest level I can you know, what's the next level? Because you're just playing the euphonium part. You're just playing the tuba part or the cornet part and saying, well, wait a minute. If I get in front of a band, I can have this whole other experience and a much longer life, lifespan to do it at a high level. You know, so you can conduct, you know, if you, you know, stood, stood in front of a band at 40, you could do it for another 25, 30 years, essentially, before you're probably too old to, to stand in front of a band and do it, or even even farther with some of these orchestral conductors that have done it into the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, well, I don't know, an orchestra is probably easier to stand in front of. <laughs> you know, it's not quite, <laughs> the, the volume is way back there. <laughs> you're, right. You're hearing, but, it, um, but you get it, you approach it from a very different standpoint, where I'm not doing with just my part, I am now in charge of creating this entire product. And artistically, it's a very, very different and very fascinating way to challenge yourself in a musical and artistic way, you know, because instead of this being your instrument, now the entire ensemble is your instrument. And right. you know, when you start off doing it, you, you know, because it's all on the job training, really, you don't know how to become a conductor until you just stand in front of a band and do it. And, it's, and you learn how to do it. And once you figure out how to get the band to do the things and, and they can learn and understand what you're doing, then it all just fits together. There's, there's the brass bands, when you train them the right way, they do things because they listen to each other, not as much because of what they see you do. You know, it, all, it always, it's fascinating to me to watch um, videos of Black Dyke Band and the way that they respond to what Nick Childs does from the podium. He'll, he'll give a downbeat and there'll be a rebound and then the band will play like, like a whole second delay to that. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just like, are these wires, is the sound going through these wires slow? Like, you know, like what, it, <laughs> you know, what is going on here? But they're perfectly together, you know, so that, you know, uh, I think that if you were getting a DMA in conducting, they would probably discourage that habit, um, you know, but the band has, has worked with Nick for so long that they all know that that's how it, that's how it goes, you know, so, you know, so as a, as a person that does the conducting thing, you just, kind of have a totally different experience of what you do artistically. And it's, and it's fascinating to build the product rather than to just be a part of the product. Well, I, I think Gavin, I, I think you're, you're right. Cause in the, in the discussion that we had, um, because the, right now the cob position, uh, conducting position is open and I was going back and forth and back and forth. Should I, should I put my name in the hat for this? And, and then I, I kept on going back to the fact that like my gigs are getting better <laughs> like I have I have some performances that I'm really looking forward to and I'm like I, I you know I, I'm like I feel like I've worked and worked and worked to get to the point where some of these gigs are like pretty cool <laughs> and I'm like you know at some point I think I'm I, I'm gonna make that switch but uh, I feel like I'm I'm kind of living a little bit of that payoff now uh and and so it was interesting talking to a few people who I, I've talked to a few people who are like making that transition and taking on more conducting roles uh and I I eventually settled into we're going to establish a more prominent youth brass band so then I can conduct um but but have a little bit more of that flexibility in there um, but I thought I, when you said that, I was like, that's the perfect response because that's what, that's what everyone I was talking to, uh, was, was talking about. So it's pretty cool. All right. So we're about to ready to wrap here, but I wanted to, uh, remind our audience that we are adding a segment. We're going to do it here in a second, but we have added the segment of question of the day. So um, we're taking questions from the audience, either hit us up on our socials and or comments on the YouTube page. Um, and we will pick a random audience members uh, question to ask. It can be general. It can be specific to a certain person or anything like that. Um, but since um, we haven't, we haven't even aired the episode where I actually initially brought that up. So I actually made up 
our question. So we're getting really close. We're all kind of getting really close, I hope, to starting our new seasons. Like we're we're kind of getting our rehearsals together and our academic schedules. And that has come with the, uh, with the frustration, even af especially after COVID, of filling sections out. And it always seems like certain bands just have a hard time filling out a section. Certain sections. It's never the same section between any band or whatever like that. So I was curious, y'all, what what section have you been in bands with that have just been like, we just cannot keep people in those particular seats for some godforsaken reason. And with us, with the Tampa Brass Band, it happens to be the tenor horns. Surprise, surprise. I can't get French horn players or cornet players or euphonium players to switch over to that thing. Uh, Tony, what about you? What about in your bands? Wow. Um... It definitely goes in waves. Um, I I don't usually have a problem filling chairs or sections in the band. Um, and tell us your secrets. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> I think is I think having a youth band where you have access to players who are interested in playing. But um, I I say this with with the most amount of humility in case anybody from my band is listening to this. Um, um, is that sometimes I find that I would I wish that I could find players that are of a higher skill level. You know that you know the, you know sometimes like when I have a principal euphonium opening, you know I I got really lucky when when my previous principal euphonium player left and Billy Helton you know joined us. Um, you know he came into town right at the same time, so I you know. But you know knowing the players that are in this landscape around here, especially euphonium players. There was not a really good euphonium player around um, that could play lead euphonium. And then Billy just like, boom, just dropped in my lap. And it's just like, oh, thank you, Lord, that Billy came here because now I have a really good euphonium player. So, you know, so we're good. Well, Billy just, just left the band. And, you know, right now it's like, mm, what am I going to do? And, it, and I hope that, um, you know, I've got a line on a guy that's moving into town that could fill in that role. Uh, he just, I'm not going to reveal his name because it is a prominent euphonium player and I'm really super excited about it, but he hasn't signed on the dotted line yet. Um, so, you know, by the time this- I'm going to go on Facebook and see who's moving to Florida, who's moving I, to North Carolina now. I think I know who he's talking about. <laughs> I, I think, think I do think, too. I think I know who he's talking about. <laughs> but but it, it's just making sure that when, when I do have openings that there's good enough players that can fit in and, and play at the same level as the rest of the band. Um you know, and a lot of times you just get lucky. I, I feel very fortunate that um, I always have good tuba players. Um, I don't know if it's just dumb luck or if, like I know enough tuba players in the area and I can wrangle the good ones to play. But um, all of the community bands around here struggle to get tuba players. And I always have a fully stocked, you know, loaded tuba section. So I'm super psyched about always having good tuba players. People would rather play tuba, I feel like, in a brass band where they can move their fingers a little bit than play, you know, in wind band. I mean, sorry, I, wind, wind yeah. band people. But. I think it's also because I demand that somebody plays pedal notes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you you encourage that that behavior. Yeah. Amy, what about you? Uh, it's tenor horns, um, and and we had the we had the biggest uh, trouble when when I taught at Rowan, and we were we were establishing the college brass band. And um, everyone else just hopped on board, uh, but the the horn players just they were afraid that they were going to mess up their chops, which is such a foreign concept to me because as low brass players, we're like, I'm going to play trombone for this, I'll pick up a tuba for this, I'm going to play euphonium, I'll switch over to baritone. You know, I, my chops have been fine. I don't, I, but but horn players were very concerned about that, and then eventually we convinced them, and and no one, no one messed up their chops imagine that um but it took a it took a lot of convincing to get some people to uh to sit in on tenor horn and so for for a bit my euphonium well my euphonium i'm gonna i'm gonna brag a little bit my euphonium studio was so big at rowan that we filled out the youth very row and then just spilled over onto tenor horn uh until we could really stock the tenor horn row um and then when I think maybe maybe it was the fact that the euphonium players were on tenor horn and not messing up their chops. Maybe the horn players realized, hey, this is not as scary as uh, as I made it out to be. And then then we got tenor horn players. But then I think in Atlantic they have a tenor horn opening as well. And uh, I hope that one of the one of the the youth then college and now hopefully she'll she'll step in on on tenor horn 
in the main band. So, um, but yeah, it's always been Tenderhorns. Gavin, has it been Tenderhorn for you too? Sort of, sort of. We've always had players um, who to play solo horn. We've had several players in the band uh, do a, a tremendous job for us. Um, but then we had Juan Berrios, fantastic. But then he had to move away. Uh, then we had um, uh, Jack, uh, who came and played, Jackson Arthur, uh, who was a corner player, moved over to Solo Horn. A tremendous job, had to move away again. So that, that seems to have been the issue there. So we've currently got Hernan Troncoso, who's playing Solo Horn for us, doing a fantastic job again, but he's our first horn player. He's moving up to, to fill in that spot. Um, so that, that's, that's been a spot that we've kind of rotated people in and out of, seemingly. Corners has always been, uh, we've always had too many corners, which is a great thing to have. We're currently running, I think, 11 corners right now. Uh, and that's saying uh, we, don't have, we don't have room to at least five or six players that could and do, do want to play in the band. Um, tubas, solid, percussion, we've had the same three of us for years now. Same with the trombones. It's been the same three trombones for virtually every rehearsal I've been to since I joined the band. Um, Euphoniums and baritones, again, has changed for various reasons. People moving away, uh, like Aaron, for example. Um, there's other, uh, we had um, Ryan Chen playing solo euphoniums, fantastic player. He's now moving away. He's doing a law degree in, is it Stanford? He's he moved away. It's one of the major universities, uh, or Harvard. No, he's at Harvard, doing a law degree at Harvard. Um, and then we've got a guy at the moment, Jason, who uh, is moving away again. Uh, I think he's going to Indiana. Um, so that that seems to be an issue for us. We get these good players, but because there's nowhere for them to go within Florida at the moment, that they, uh, they they see something uh, the the grass is greener outside of Florida for whatever reason. They move out, and so we get the good players and they go. You know, so what I'd really like to do, and I know Aaron is helping to do this, is create this atmosphere in Florida that people want to come here, not people grow up here and move away. We want people to go other places and come to us. So those are the situation, the, 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 the positions we've had the most rotation on. Not issues, just rotation. Sorry for him, solo horn. Oh, don't worry. Florida's going to become the Mecca. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> hey, Gavin, thank you so much. We got a, we got another one of these to do, so we got to head out here soon. But thank you so much for hanging out yeah, with us. You. It was really cool to get your perspective, and I really appreciate you coming in and hanging out with us. Well, thanks for having and, me. Uh, I hope hopefully we'll, we'll see you around here soon. Like physically, sure. I'll get to see you again here soon. <laughs> and, I'm, right. and, and by the way, I'm so sorry it didn't come home. It was close, and I'm happy that we got as far as we did. You know, I, I saw uh, I've seen so many penalty misses uh, over the years since the '80s. So to finally see us getting to a quarterfinal, to a semifinal, and now to a final, the future is bright, especially with these kids. So.